Welcome to Have a Life Teaching, the podcast designed for educators who are dedicated to enhancing their teaching practice and creating a positive impact on their students' lives. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the world of education, exploring a wide range of topics related to curriculum, instruction, and assessment in K-12 schools. Together, we'll learn from the brightest minds in the education field. So if you're a passionate educator who's ready to take your teaching practice to the next level, join us as we explore the exciting world of education. My name is John Shimbari, signing in and saying, let's have a life teaching. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Have a Life Teaching Podcast, where we hope through our conversations, you as educators get some great tips to put bring back into your classroom. So uh, those of you that listen to the podcast know that in an earlier episode, we had the opportunity to chat with Justin Reich uh, from MIT about his work in design thinking and applying that to the school process. And in particular, how do we have educators actually thinking through problems of practice with one another? And, and key to that, as we discussed in that episode, was collaboration. Now, it's all fine and dandy to say, oh, teachers, go and collaborate with one another. But the reality is, as human beings, we all have a preferred style in the way we interact with people. And we don't want the collaborative design thinking process to fail during the storming process, if you will, when people are still trying to figure out what it's like to work with one another. So for those of us who are instructional coaches, whether from the outside or in a district, full-time staff, or even if we're teachers on a PLC, or even if our school leaders ask us as, as teachers to go into each other's classroom and to observe and to give feedback, we need to really think about what does it mean when we say feedback? How are we gonna give that feedback in a positive way, which still will provide value to the person teaching, but in a way that doesn't shut our colleagues off to one another and to ourselves, because then there's no purpose in going into each other's classroom. So with that premise in mind, I'm really excited today to actually be joined by Ryan Burke, Ryan is co-founder and senior partner of Leadership and Design, a collaborative design thinking firm, and really looking forward to speaking with Ryan today, again, about giving feedback, feedback versus judgment, as well as to talk about other ways we could communicate hard truths to each other and actually grow our relationships and our teaching and learning in the process. So Ryan, thank you so much for being here today. John, I appreciate being here. So Ryan, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got into design thinking itself? Sure. Um, well, I, I would imagine like uh, some of your listeners, I started as a teacher on the Oregon coast uh, back in 1999. And I was working in Lincoln City, Oregon as a middle school teacher. I, I subbed for three days before landing my first full-time job. And about a week later, I realized why the job was open. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was a special ed teacher, uh, dual certified special ed and regular ed. And on my first week, I found out, uh, well, first of all, my principal was fired on the first day that oh, I wow. got my job. 
And um, I had 145 uh, students with IEPs on my caseload, and uh, about 110 of them were out of compliance with the state of Oregon. And so I got kind of a crash course in uh, special ed bureaucracy and uh, kind of, you know, spent three years on the Oregon coast learning how to teach. And uh, I taught for about seven years and then uh, became a learning specialist, was an assistant high school principal, uh, middle school principal, a middle school and high school principal, and then a high school principal. And along the way, um, my educator friends and I would go to professional development and we would find ourselves having a beer afterwards and complaining about how bad professional development was. And, and it sort of, it, it dawned on us that it wasn't particularly helpful to just complain. And so uh, a part, uh, Greg Bamford, who's my partner, he's out of Seattle, um, he and I started an organization called Leading is Learning, and we didn't know what we were doing. And uh, one of the first things we did, given that we didn't know what we were doing, is we looked for people that we could learn from. And we were really interested in learning from people that were both in education, but also outside of education. And one of the best decisions that we made was to look into the field of design and connect with uh, how designers were solving problems. And that's how we originally got connected with the framework of design thinking. And this was way back in, in 2010, 2009, when it was, when it was still kind of uh, relatively unknown. And um, we, we ended up uh, collaborating with another organization, the Santa Fe Leadership Center. And a year later, we merged the two into leadership and design, and we incorporated as a nonprofit in 2013. And uh, so now we are, uh, we're, we're just celebrating our 10 year anniversary this year. We're, we're a nonprofit organization, we're mission driven. We work with uh, independent schools, charter schools, public schools. Um, sometimes we'll work with, as I think you're in the public school world, sometimes there are organizations in the public school world that are sort of school district adjacent. Right. And um, yeah, we, we, we work on messy, ambiguous problems with schools where there are no clear right answers. Awesome. I mean, not that they have these problems where there are no clear answers, but that you are indeed applying this design thinking and having the people who are located in these schools solving their own problems with your support and facilitation of the process of, of design thinking. So with that in mind, Ryan, why should educators, whether those are leaders or whether those are uh, school leaders or teachers in a building, why should we think about the teaching practice as one that could benefit from design thinking? Well, I appreciate the question. Um, I think probably the simplest answer is I think of design thinking as solving a problem uh, through the lens of anthropology or even ethnography, which is it's solving with, not solving for. Right. And I think one of the things that they didn't tell me when I became a leader is that people don't actually do what you say. So just because like, I, you know, like when you're young and you're inexperienced and you you imagine what leadership is, you imagine that there'll be a problem and that you'll have a solution and you'll tell people what the solution is and then they'll do it and it'll get solved. And I think what you realize as you get more experience and and uh, this is true as a teacher or or as an administrator is that 
you actually don't know how to solve problems often, uh, even if they're your own problems. And certainly when they affect other people, if you don't involve those people in the process of solving their problems, you come up with uh, solutions that you may really like, but that have no real uh, value in, in the real world. And um, nobody knows that better than teachers, because I think oftentimes leaders in school are promoted because they're great teachers, but they're not necessarily trained on frameworks and processes to be able to uh, help, you know, bring through cultural or system-wide change. And it actually can be very painful to see uh, folks that have worked really hard on a solution. And uh, when they bring that solution to the people that it impacts, and those people don't appreciate the solution or think it's a good uh, a good solution, it can be really hard to watch because they've worked so hard. And so what I love about design thinking, and it sounds a little bit like maybe you had this conversation in your last podcast, is really teaching educators to solve problems through the process of iteration where you're consistently going back to the people that your solutions are impacting and asking them for kind of an ongoing uh, dialogue of feedback to make sure that um, whatever the needs are that you're trying to address are, are actually getting met. Yeah, and so that definitely is a commonality between our conversation that we're having and then the one that I had with Justin Reich at MIT, where it's it's all fine to provide these solutions and supports to others, but at the end of the day, that's not what's going to stick. The people who are doing the work, who are vested in, in going to that school on a day-in, day-out basis, they have to believe in that work. So they really do need to be part of the process of figuring out what solutions will work for them. So that definitely was a commonality in what uh, I spoke with with Justin and what I'm speaking about with you today. One thing we didn't cover that I was really excited to get you on the show to discuss is this fact that even though we have these design processes in place, even though we realize it's about the people who are doing the work, making the decisions in terms of the implementations in their teaching practice that they're going to actually implement and that can't be imposed from outside. The process itself can, itself can still go off the rails if people don't know how to work together well with one another and if they're not sharing feedback in a way that's going to be received well by each other and by others. So I really enjoyed watching your very quick video that you had posted, I believe on LinkedIn or on your website, maybe it was on your website. And then I posted it to LinkedIn where you talk about the difference between giving each other feedback versus judgment. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I think even if our folks listening to this leave with that nugget, that's a great nugget to leave with when it comes to developing our relationships with our peers. Sure. Yeah, again, I appreciate the question. Um, well, I would say kind of two other things as a precursor to that, and then we'll we'll dive into feedback. I mean, sure. I, I think one thing that is kind of foundational to the work we do with teams and groups is that is sort of a rhetorical question of who told you that it was supposed to go well, right? And I think we like to refer to it as the paradox of group life, which is you you love being in a group and you hate being in a group. They're both true. And I think uh, we need each other. We need groups. 
And also the moment you're in a group with other people, you have to give a certain part of your own wants and needs up to be able to do that. And so I think one of the most powerful reframes that we can bring to group life is this idea that when it goes wrong, that's normal. It is not normal for groups or people, interpersonal relationships to not have challenges. And I think one of the things that we as educators don't always do a good job of is when something goes wrong, we treat it like it is a like it's a problem, as opposed to right. like it like we planned for it, we knew it was going to happen. I think that brings me to my second point, which is one of the most important things that you can do, whether you're working with one other individual or in a team, is talk about what you're going to do when things go wrong ahead of time. So instead of talking about it when it's going wrong, which of course you have to do also. Um, doing things like setting norms. How do we want to disagree with each other? How do you like to get feedback? You know, asking somebody how they like to get feedback, whether it's um, in any form, is super helpful to know before you get into those situations that you're describing where you give feedback and it either does or doesn't go as planned. Um, which I think brings me a little bit to your question, which is I, I, I produced this video and I think the kind of core idea behind that video is that when I don't care if it's public school or private school or or whatever school environment you're in, teachers and department chairs and administrators are getting more and more pressure to give feedback. And I find it so strange that we're not training folks on number one, what is feedback? Number two, how to give good feedback. And then also to your point, not, not just giving the feedback, but receiving the feedback. And so I think one of the most common misconceptions that we see in schools is when people say feedback, what they often mean is what I would term judgment. And so again, the way that we separate these two, and again, you can watch the video if you're listening to this and you're curious about it, um, you know, maybe John can link to the video, but um, we'll do that. Right. We, we, yeah, we think of feedback as what you can observe or what you can hear. So when you go into somebody's classroom, what you hear them saying, what you hear students saying, um, and then also what you can see with your eyes. And so when you're giving somebody feedback, all you're doing basically is, is playing a mirror. You're just mirroring back, here's what I saw, here's what I heard. And I think oftentimes in the world of education, when we use the word feedback, what we mean is our judgment about what we observed. Mm -hmm. You know, this worked, this didn't work. Those are both judgments. Uh, those students were engaged, those students were disengaged. Those are both judgments. And I think the difference really is that a judgment is not objective. A judgment is filled with your own bias. A judgment lacks the context that often is true in a feedback relationship. You're in your classroom 180 days all day long. I'm in your classroom for a half hour, right? It's really hard for my judgment to be accurate because I lack all of the context for understanding the situation in the way that you might have it as somebody who's in there every day. Now, I also have a perspective that you don't have, but it doesn't necessarily mean that my judgments are any more accurate. And so I think one of the most simple things people can do when you're giving feedback is just separate those two things from each other. So give feedback, meaning what you saw. And then I think in our video, what we really encourage people to do, because your judgments are highly inaccurate, just by the nature of all the information that you lack, 
instead of telling them what your judgment is, it's really great to ask them what their judgment is about your observation. So the service that you're providing as a feedback giver is you're helping them see things that they may not be able to see in their role as a teacher. Hey, Ryan, on that note, could you and I maybe think through what some of those question prompts could be uh, that we, those of us that are observing the instruction or the person teaching could be using to, to have that mirror effect? Well, I mean, I think it's just as simple as writing down um, in, in the world of uh, anthropology, when you're taking notes, you're not taking notes on your judgments because you don't know anything about the whatever you're observing. And so I think it's very similar you're just you're writing down anything that you can objectively see or hear. It, like sometimes, um, and I, I think another thing to bring up is what's the purpose of your feedback. Another thing that often happens in schools, and this is true of grades, or it's true of all of the different systems of feedback that that are sort of pervasive in our system of education. It's it's not always clear what the purpose of the feedback is, and so. Um, when I was a principal and I was observing teachers, the first question that I would always ask before I ever did any observation was, if I were to observe you teaching, what do you want out of that? What's the point? And um, depending on how a teacher answered that question might change my answer to your question around what the prompts are. But in general, sometimes teachers really wanted to look at transitions. And so they wanted me to do things like time, how long the transitions were taking. Sometimes teachers wanted me to look at how they were asking questions or whether or not students were engaged or like teachers had their own ideas about what they were having a hard time watching because they were involved in teaching. So I think you can start with just, I saw, I heard, and um, for the most part, those tend to be uh, the prompts are sort of easily effectively observable. And I think the way to make that a little bit more rich and a little bit like a little bit of depth is to when you have the opportunity, you know, ask a teacher at a time what they're really interested in in having you look for. Yeah, um, a lot there really resonated with me. So one thing you said that I thought was key is. If there is the time ahead of time to plan out why we're going into each other's classrooms, right? That could give the teacher being observed, whether by an administrator, by peers, by a coach, an understanding of that context that you mentioned often we don't have when we go in to observe, right? So a great example of that might be uh, two kids are sleeping in the back of class, right? So rather than saying, oh, those two students aren't engaged because they're sleeping in the back of the class, we might reframe it to your point as, I see two students sleeping in the back of class. And then the teacher might say, well, that's because so-and-so just had an operation or so-and-so is not feeling well. Because I think a lot of times when people get frustrated with coaching or people coming in and out of their classrooms, it is that the observer is making judgments rather than turning that back to us. And again, serving as that mirror reflection that we, when we're teaching classes, don't always have, because unless we're taping ourselves and then going to go and look at it afterwards, 
it's hard to know what we are doing in the moment. So when we, when others come in and judge us, that puts up the wall that shouldn't be there because we might actually learn something, especially if there is something that we could be doing a little differently in our practice. So if we can, let's talk about that for a moment, Ryan. So let's say you come in and an observer, co-teacher, administrator, instructional coach, again, doesn't matter. And you are noticing things that where you think the teacher should be reflecting more on their practice, that maybe the teacher does have a role in why something might be working or not working. How would you recommend that person approach that conversation with their peer teaching the course or the class? Thanks for the question. I think it's a great question. Um, well, I, I think in general, I you start you start with the feedback, which is what you are seeing. And so if you were to use your example, right? Let, let's say there are kids in the back of a class that are sleeping or whatever. Um, and then I think if you make that shift from whatever the story is I'm making up in my head about it is not uh, as useful as how a teacher might go through their own process of of applying their judgment to it. I think you might just ask them, I saw those kids sleeping in the back of the class. What do you think about that? How are you feeling? How are you thinking about that? How are you feeling about that? Then a teacher tells you, right? And depending on what a teacher tells you, you might ask questions like, are you worried about it? Mm. Is it bothering you? And I think in a lot of ways, the best way to be an incredible feedback giver is to be a really great listener And I think one of the biggest barriers to being a great listener is to already deciding what you want to say before you've heard the answer to the question that you're asking. And one of the biggest mistakes that I see administrators making in particular, but also instructional coaches, is when they watch a teacher teach, they they either unconsciously or consciously think they know what is right. And I think it, it it shows up everywhere in our language as well. Oftentimes those people, especially if they're in administrative roles, roles will be um, working off this phrase of holding people accountable. And so at Leadership and Design, we like to frame that really differently. We like to frame it as holding people capable. And really the first, the first step of observing anyone if you want to actually be helpful, which I'm not always convinced that people do want to be helpful. I'm sometimes convinced that judging others is what's in it for some people who do that job. Mm-hmm. I think the vast majority of educators in those roles are, they do want to be helpful. Right. And I think um, if you really want to be helpful, I think you just have to apply like what we call radical curiosity. Like, why is this happening? Do you think it's a problem? And do you know, do you have an idea about what you want to do about it? Mm-hmm. And I think the other part of that is when you observe someone that's having a problem in your mind, right? So you've judged it as a problem. Do you also hold them in your mind as a hundred percent capable of dealing with it? And I think if a lot of people are honest, they don't. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. one of the things we work with people on is you cannot help anyone if you don't believe in them growing. 
And so when you watch somebody that's having a problem in your judgment, you're doing two things at the same time. Number one, you're admitting that your judgment about it is highly inaccurate, mm -hmm. right? And you're holding sort of like a general energy, even in your body language and everything, that the person that you're observing and that's having the challenge, if they deem it a challenge, is going to figure it out. And I think just those two things can really change the way that people experience a feedback conversation. Because as I think you named this, people really have um, experience after experience after experience of being judged. And people don't like to be judged. It doesn't matter at school, at home, out in the world. It's just, it's unhelpful. And actually what was so interesting to me is there's recent social science out that even when you judge people positively. I was going to get to this. Go for it, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, even they've done this with kids and it, and it translates and generalizes to adults as well, that when you give people compliments and you judge them and say you did a great job, the net effect of that is it lowers the intrinsic motivation of the person to continue doing it. Because my theory about this, this is this is not necessarily true. This is just my theory. But my theory is that people don't want to do things because other people want them to do them. <laughs> and that the moment you introduce your judgment, even when it's positive, it gets in the way of what truly motivates people intrinsically, which is their own free will and purpose-driven curiosity around solving problems that matter to them. So speaking of that, Ryan, let's turn the tables a little bit. We've been talking more so about when there might be a quote-unquote perceived problem. But to your point about this new research that's coming out, I find that fascinating as well, because a lot of times just as human beings, we want to say, oh, that was a great job. You did a great job. And we actually think we're being helpful, whereas some people might actually not like that per that new research. So how do you give feedback then to someone whom you actually think is doing a great job. Like, so not even talking about problems, but how do you share or embrace the positives that you might be seeing uh, in the instruction that you're observing? Yeah, I mean, uh, I hate to be boring, but it's really the same answer, which is I think you just share what you're seeing. You know, I saw people cheering. I saw people smiling. I saw kids high-fiving. I saw teachers collaborating in a way where, you know, with their body language that looked like this. And then I think you're just asking whoever it is you're giving the feedback, what do you make of that? Are you excited about that? How do you feel about it? You know, and if the person says, you know, I'm stoked about it, it was amazing. I feel, you know, you know, a great sense of accomplishment. I think then you just turn into a cheerleader like that's great. Awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. And if they say, I don't know, I'm still skeptical, you know, like I, I still think we have work to do. You know, my go to phrase is, oh, just say more about that. Mm -hmm. I, I think th the number one goal for me is to keep my own needs out of the conversation. If I'm there to give feedback and be in service to somebody else, the last thing I want to do is insert my own self into the conversation. And I think a lot of times when people give compliments in particular, they do it because it makes them feel good. Mm. And um, I get it. I totally get it. It's fun to give people a compliment and feel good. But um, if you've done school leadership long enough, you've recognized somebody positively in a way that didn't land well on them. 
And uh, I had at least one situation where I complimented somebody publicly and they really did not appreciate that because it was embarrassing. Mm. And it was a, it was like a turning point for me because in that moment I realized I, I was missing, I was missing something. And, um, and so again, it's, it's just really the same general, um, sort of way of going forward, which is share what you're seeing and ask the other person what they think of it and see that person as a hundred percent capable of doing whatever it is they want with their own life. And I think you said something earlier that I, I wanted to come back to, which is um, how do you give feedback and ensure that the person will receive it well? And I think the answer is number one, you try not to conflate feedback and judgment and that helps a lot. Mm -hmm. But number two is you don't, you have no control over whether or not somebody receives feedback. Well, and I think one of the things I've really learned as I've gotten into this is that the harshest, most critical judge of people's behavior is themselves. Mm, good point. So, so sometimes when you share just the observation a person's response will be to harshly judge themselves and they will still have a fight or flight response or fight, flight or freeze response. And it's not based on your judgment. It's based on their own judgment of themselves, which they often will do without telling you. Right. And you can still have somebody really respond negatively and they're actually responding to their own inner critic. And as you know, probably teachers are notorious for being very hard on themselves. And um, and so even though you do this correctly and you don't conflate judgment and feedback, you can still really trigger in other people harsh judgment of themselves, which can look like they're being very resistant to what you're saying. Got it, got it. And that makes perfect sense. So Ryan, where can people find you? I will post to the video you did, your website, but where can people find out more about you and their and your work and the work of your colleagues uh, out there uh, in the world of education? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. Um, we are a nonprofit organization. Um, our, our website is just www.leadershipanddesign, and it's just the word and, and the word design, so two Ds, um, .org. And um, you can find us there, you know, how we work with schools, how we work with individuals, and um, you can learn about, you know, all of my other co-founders and partners and collaborators across the country. And I think I was telling you before we started the podcast, um, we don't do any one-off professional development. Um, we we all we do we focus on longer-term partnerships with schools and with teams because um, our experience has been that one-off professional development doesn't work very well, and um, we primarily work on messy, ambiguous problems that don't have right answers that have a lot of messy people problems in them, which right. is pretty much everything teachers and teacher leaders are dealing with. And so, uh, yeah, check us out. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Ryan. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Nice to be with you. Likewise. Thank you for listening today. I hope you got some great tips that you can bring back into your teaching. Remember, have a life teaching without sacrificing your own. Also, don't forget to subscribe 
and be well.